Welcome to episode 37 of the Princeton Podcast, produced by the podcast production team at HG Media, providing audio and video production services here in Princeton since 1999. In this episode, our Princeton Podcast host, Mayor Mark Frieda, welcomed David Fox, the executive director of Arm in Arm. Formerly known as the Crisis Ministry, this nonprofit organization was founded in 1980 by leaders of Nassau Presbyterian Church and Trinity Church here in Princeton to help community members who were struggling financially. And now, for the past four decades, Mercer County families have turned to Arm in Arm for essential resources, including food, housing assistance, and financial support. In addition to discussing Arm in Arm's evolving role in helping provide food and housing for those in need, David described the significance of combining work experience with daily training and job search activities. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, David Fox, for episode 37 of the Princeton Podcast. David, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure, truly. So David, you know, maybe we could start with what is your role with Arm in Arm as their executive director? I think it begins with being the example of service to those in greatest need in our community. The second part would be to lead the vision in partnership with the board of how we can serve people better and to meet their critical needs. And then I would say the next role would be chief advocate. And advocacy takes the kind of role of rallying resources, right, to make sure that the needs can be met. In our case, it's so that people can have sufficient food and housing and work. It also has the role of education, what we're doing today just helping people become aware that there is a problem often with with some of the folks in our community and being able to access critical needs. And then finally, with the advocacy part, it's in partnership with other great organizations around us. A constant part of what I do is in working with partnerships with others in this county to be able to do things as efficiently as possible. The final part is just the simple management to make sure that we deliver on what we promise to do. Our vision becomes actually a reality in the day-to-day operations. The food was delivered. The staff did it as, as humbly and as with as much compassion as possible. And then also to make sure that the resources were actually purposed for what we said we were going to do with them. That's a great explanation. Thank you. So can we talk a little bit about the, the actual mission of Arm & Arm? Sure. So if you look on our website... You can see that our mission is, I'll read it, and then I'll kind of try to just summarize it. Arm and Arm is a place where our community comes together to make sure we all have the most basic needs of food and shelter and, as possible, the livelihood to maintain them. So to summarize, we do the basics, food, housing, work. That's what we're trying to do, to help people who have the most critical need for those most basic things to make sure that they are served in the best way we can. And I like the fact that in our mission statement and, of course, in our our name, and we'll talk about the way that name has evolved, that we emphasize that we're doing it together. And 
this is really important because we don't have a paradigm of just we're helping somebody else. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. We're helping each other. And anybody who's ever been in this role and in this role of you know social service in any way, shape, or form, and I know you can relate to this, you always get a lot back, mm-hmm. right? You, you get inspired by people often who are going through things that you can't you know, really imagine sometimes and think, boy, I couldn't handle that. And you're admiring the resources with which they they are able to conduct, you know, their lives and, and make things happen. So, you know, I always say Arm and Arm's a place of joy. You know, you come there and everyone who comes there leaves happier. There's something really that takes place when we try to help each other. And and it's really great because that idea of coming together also is a place of these are these are very different people that come together. All different backgrounds, political stripes, nationalities, frankly, and yet they are united in doing good for each other. So the the way in which, you know, we, we talk about arm in arm in a way it's a it's a place where it brings community together. And I really think that that's that's one of the chief things that we do. We are a place where people can come together to do good. Yeah, that's great. And it's interesting, too, because no matter who people are, people are people. Yeah. And no matter what their situation is, they can be interesting. They have a sense of humor. They can be entertaining. They are just people that deserve our respect and compassion, and they give that right back. So, you know, it just... It's really just about letting people be people and treating them the way we want to be treated. Absolutely. And I would say one last thing is I think, you know, we humans are wired for purpose, right? We find meaning and purpose. And this is a place where, you know, people can find purpose and they can find that joy that comes from purpose. So we, we have a lot of affluence around us, but for those especially that are seeking kind of that purpose in serving others this is this is one of those options yeah yeah i yeah i just i gotta agree i think serving others is what you get back from not putting yourself first all the time is extremely rewarding anyway so let's talk about when arm and arm was created and it wasn't always known as arm and arm and arm and arm began as the crisis ministry of mercer county was begun in 1980 by two faith communities here in princeton Nassau Presbyterian Church, and Trinity Church in Princeton. We are so grateful for those communities and the foresight that they had. They were simply realizing that people were coming to them in need. And again, the basics, right? People were coming to them in need of food and help with housing and help with work. And so they did something about it. And I think it was really forward-thinking to establish a separate 501c3, you know, and that allowed a few things. It allowed, first of all, for a kind of concentration to do that specific thing and that specific thing alone. You know, yeah. Let's really task people to help people with those basic needs and not just one other job, right? I mean, that's one thing. The second thing is it allowed for growth and for other groups and to grow far beyond those, those faith community doors. And so in that way, we are non-sectarian in, in that regard. We're not just with those faith communities or others, but we have now grown to have many, many, many partners, both that are faith communities that come from corporations, that come from foundations, they come from 
other groups and individuals of all kinds. And we just say, if you want to help serve people with those basics, you know, please join us. We'd love to have you. And we can rally around a mission that, that brings everybody together. And the, other, the other thing that I think finally that it allowed us to do is that it allowed the agency to grow much bigger than the doors uh, of those places. Now, what's interesting is that we still, to this day, have a pantry, right, in the, bo- in the level or the lower level of Nassau Presbyterian Church, but we're also many other places, and that wouldn't have happened without that kind of, you know, foresight. In 2016, the name changed to Arm and Arm, and I think it reflected a, a few things. I think it reflected, it was before my day, I think it reflected a little bit of what I talked about. There, there's this kind of a growth to encompass the emphasis on everybody being together. The second part is, even though the way we deal with people often embodies the sense of ministry, meaning it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. We do it with compassion, absolute respect, and love. We also want to make sure that it's not just crisis mode. We want to set people up for sustainability. And, and in the beginning, it was a stopgap for people that had critical needs to get them through the critical moment, crisis. But as we've grown, we've seen that, you know, we want to move people beyond crisis and to get them into sustainable lives and we'll talk more about the programs and how they've done that and also how the composition of our staff reflects that because the final part of that is we have about 25% of the staff that we have now that have been former clients. So to take people from absolute crisis to where now they are working for us and helping others in crisis, you know, that that's really a beautiful kind of evolution, right? That's great. So let me ask you this: How long have you how long have you been there? How long have you been the executive director? I started on January first, two thousand twenty. Oh, perfect timing! <laughs> yeah, wasn't that a great time to begin? I joke with some of the board members who, you know, were were influential in in my coming here and really helped me. And I said, "Boy, you really were setting me up, weren't you?" There in two thousand twenty, we didn't know what would happen. And I have to say, even though that was, of course, you know, two months into the work, we we had a pandemic. It was, you know, through the pandemic, we really forged some relationships through fire, so to speak. And honestly, it got me also plugged in very much to this community. So, for instance, we were having monthly meetings. In the beginning, it was weekly meetings of partners here to be able to mobilize for good and to make sure we weren't replicating services, but we really piggybacked. So, for instance, we still meet in Princeton once a month. And we have a group that, you know, all the, all the folks that, for instance, and the, and the programs that serve food, we, we constantly kind of make sure that we're aligned. I know in the beginning, for instance, we were discovering that some of us were delivering on the same day in the same place. We were making sure that we didn't want to see that happen. So those basic things, people should know that, you know, we're really trying to do all we can to work together to maximize our time and resources. So... Yes, that was that was the beginning, and many things really had to take place overnight. The other thing that I guess the opportunity in that, even though it was some difficult moments, was that I had to learn things quickly, but then also we had to change things mm-hmm. very quickly too. So that was that was part of you know the experience. And frankly, since that time in 2020, we've had to part of what people 
I guess maybe sometimes don't always get is that it's been a continual change, right? There was a phase one where we had to do yeah. one thing and then we had to change to phase, phase two. So, you know, I think the task for today is how can we take the great energy that came out of people really wanting to help people in crisis during those critical moments of the pandemic and say, wait, wait, wait a second. First of all, people are suffering now often in many ways more than back then. And specifically, what we're seeing is that there's a ripple effect. Actually, it's more like a big wave that's hitting people now. Why? Because during the height of the pandemic, even though people were faced with health issues, and we had some stories of really difficult situations of people losing members of their family and breadwinners and losing businesses and, and their positions at jobs and not getting you know their unemployment benefits on time, and we rushed in to try to help with those critical supports. But now what we're seeing is many of the things that were offered to people, for instance, the evictions moratorium, SNAP benefits, CARES money that came out through housing, all of these kinds of things have now really gone. Right. And in its place, we're seeing people face with skyrocketing prices with food. We know that. And also rent that's gone extremely you know, high you know, for where, for where it was. So people are having to now deal with more, with less. And that's where we're trying to sustain the high levels of care so that people don't, you know, get left. And so that's why we're really thankful for these opportunities like this to be able to kind of educate people on what people are facing today. Yeah. It's interesting how the challenges are just as bad, or as you said, worse yeah. in many cases. Yeah. One or two more questions about you, and then we'll get back to talking more about Arm and Arm. Are you from this area, or where are you from? I grew up in Cumberland County down the road. I don't okay. know if everybody knows where Cumberland County is, but <laughs> what's interesting with Cumberland County is it's, it's, if you look at kids count data over time, it's one of the critically needy places, and it's the number the 21st county out of 21 in many of the really key factors hmm. that... And people don't know about it because it tends to be a different kind of challenge in poverty often in a rural situation. So, yeah, I grew up in down there in Millville, New Jersey, probably best known now for Mike Trout, who came out of that, <laughs> came out of that community. But it was a, a, a largely a working class community that was based around the glass industry and working in those factories. And that was a whole other story. Right. I spent a few years here and living in Mercer County. I was a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary. This is where we began, my wife and I began our married life together as well. So it has a lot of deep-seated kind of, you know, special character for us to begin our lives here together. And then I spent a few years also in um, Cape May County, living there on the Jersey Coast for a few years. And then for many years up in Morris County in northern New Jersey. So, in, and you'll see in some of my professional career, I've, I've served some other counties too. So I feel as though I've had a, a good flavor of southern, central, and northern New Jersey and how they're related and also different. Yeah. Well, thanks for mentioning that there is a central Jersey. I'm always amazed that people think there's only a north and a south, and it's like, no, there's definitely a, a – there's three regions of, of the state. But anyway yeah. – Hey, so you mentioned you had been other places too. So maybe you could share a little bit about your other experiences. So immediately before coming to Arm and Arm, I served for almost eight years as the director of development for Bonnie Bray. It's a residential treatment center for 
at-risk youth and children in Somerset County, New Jersey. Really, what it was, it was a camp, a large campus that where where mostly these kids would would come and live and go through, you know, really in-depth therapy and care, you know, who many of them who have been traumatized by experiences in their youth. And so this agency did a fantastic job of stabilizing them and setting them up for, you know, returning home. We also there worked with their families as well. And my role was really to support the staff in raising the resources to expand and to develop community-based homes. And so we did that in some of the areas around Bonnie Bray. And also to really, one of the, one of the capstones before I left was we had a, a capital campaign where we had a new family center built and a, another community-based home as well as, as well as another a home on campus, a kind of state-of-the-art facility there. So that was very rewarding, and it was great to be part of that team, about 250 staff, full-time, 24-7 operation. Before that, I worked for many years, 11 years in total, for Covenant House. Hmm. Covenant House is the largest private agency for homeless youth in the world. I started in Newark. We opened up a new crisis center in Newark, New Jersey, and I was the first pastoral minister and oversaw the street outreach program. That was really, I think, probably of, of my experiences working with people in need that those first seven years at Covenant House were my most formative because I worked in direct a, direct care going and doing street outreach to at-risk youth and and just being in really difficult areas and trying to, to help you know, be a be a source of to them, and then I grew there to to kind of manage programs, volunteers, and others. And I got into development, I became the director of development there, and I then finally became the vice president of, of in development for Covenant House International for my last two years. So I was the home base there, of course, is New York, mm-hmm. and there are twenty six sites all all around the world. And so that was really energized to be part of that big team and to try to talk about you know expansion of programs. Partly what we did was we, we set up new programs in Camden, Jersey City. I still was working a little bit in Atlantic City with, with that team. And so the Newark program and Elizabeth Montclair, it, it gave me a real breadth of experience looking at the way in which we go from crisis to, you know, sustainability. Before that, I did some teaching okay. that's, that's, <laughs> at, some, at some universities. Uh, yeah. Seton Hall, I did some work there, Fairly Dickinson, Montclair, and Seton Hall. I, I was an adjunct professor there. Yeah. Thank you. So who, where, where do the people that you serve, is it people just in Mercer County, or what, what is the catchment area for your services? Mercer County. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we do have people that begin other counties and come in, but really we center efforts on Mercer County. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I would say maybe just to kind of qualify that, I mean, who do we service? Or anybody who comes to us in need? I mean, that's really important. So, for instance, people will say, hey, can I, can I come to Arm and Arm if I need food? The answer is yeah. You know, if you show up and stand in line at one of our pantries, we say that you must have a need. And we just provide that need. Right. No questions asked. Now, Across our services, some services come through referrals. So, for instance, our workforce experience program has to; those candidates have to be referred through the county one stop, and and so other services like housing, we, they have 
folks who come for support there have to fall within certain guidelines, you know, levels of, you know, like for instance, 250% above the federal poverty level, you know, those types of, of things. We have to make sure that, you know, some of the guidelines, so for instance, the need-based pieces are are fixed. We have to kind of look through those basic things, but really the people that we serve at the end of the day who meet these critical, you know, kind of qualifications are the people in the greatest need. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, let me just let me just grab that thread there because you start talking about some of the programs and you have a lot of programs. Can we talk about your food support program first? Sure. So, no, that's evolved, you know, and again, I talked a little bit about what we had to do during the pandemic. So pre-pandemic, again, in the beginning, we had a pantry in the very beginning. I think they were actually delivering bags of food to people in need from the churches. But then they quickly went to a market model, which was you choose. And that's, there's a lot of really humane aspects of that, right? I can come in and I can pick out food the way anybody could, right? right? Who's going to go shopping anywhere. So that was great, and it really was a good experience, not only for the people who came, but also for the people that served and volunteered. However, the pandemic hit, and we couldn't do that. You couldn't have people all in in an area breathing the same air. So we went almost overnight to a, from a 100% pantry model, as I described it, to a 100% mobile model, which was door-to-door for the first three months, from March through May, in actually the end of june in 2020 and so what did that look like that looked like we purposed all of our staff to help us out in this herculean effort to go door to door to about 11 or 1200 of our community members that were in our database that we identified as needing food so we called we emailed we set up appointments we got volunteers who continue to be with us. We did it in a safe way where we maintained social distancing. We wore masks, of course. We did a knock, drop, and walk away model where we went to people's yeah. homes. But we texted them. We said, you know, you're going to be there. We're going to be there, you know, dropping food off. And, you know, and we had perishables. So we made sure that people were there to be able to pick them up. And some stories were really incredible. For instance, you knock on a door, you step back, you're wearing the mask, and you see the... I remember one case with, you know, a young lady who... You know, the, the curtain went, she looked out, she looked at us, you know, who are these strangers outside? And then we pointed down to the food out there and she kind of looked down, she smiled. Then we saw the hand come out and grab the food and went back inside. And that was kind of indicative of what we were doing. We were connecting. We realized we were an essential service. We had to keep going. And I really have to give kudos to all of our staff and volunteers who continue throughout that. We did everything we could to protect and do it the safest way possible. And thankfully, we were able to really maintain health throughout that period. But we kept moving. And then we moved to another model that was a blended model. And that's really kind of where we are today, where we, did, we do pre-bagged food, and we put those pre-bagged bunches of food out on tables in the front, and people can come by and just pick up and walk away. They're outside. There's not a lot of time. And we actually did a survey after a little while of doing it that way. We said, would you want to go back to the market model of going inside? And our staff... And our, I'm sorry, our volu- their families actually responded, no, they preferred this way because it kept them going quicker. They, they like that. So that's what we continue to do. So still, we have a, a pantry in Princeton that does that. However, Princeton continues, and we continued in Trenton for the first year or so after. So through t- 2021, we still were doing some door-to-door deliveries. 
We partnered with another agency that helped us with that. But in Princeton, we just kept going the way we've always done it. And we have a great group of volunteers that have done this for a long time. I had I met somebody yesterday, a, a, a couple that have been doing this for five years in Princeton. They showed up. They opened up the back of their car. They, they loaded up the bags of food. And they went off to do their deliveries. And we have specific communities we, you know, we serve to make sure that the people there have food. You know, it could be an age-related thing. It could be a, a place that just needs uh, a food. So anyway, finally, what we do now is we have a new mobile distribution center. We opened that in November. And what we discovered was we were, just, we we're serving now at about twice the levels of service than we were pre-pandemic. Almost 50,000 deliveries last calendar year of food. It's crazy. And many of these are people that we're serving again and again, and we're trying to evaluate that. I'll talk a little bit about the future and how we best assess the need. But we're out there delivering these kind of high levels of, of service, and we realized we just didn't have the space to store all this food. We couldn't even go back to that model. The other two pantries that we have are in downtown to November. We're downtown Trenton at our former headquarters at 123 East Hanover Street. And then also, we also have a pantry at 48 Hudson Street in Trenton. That 48 Hudson Street is embedded in a local community, and we have two other services there. The one downtown basically was a catch-all for people going downtown. With our, but we, as I mentioned, we couldn't fit all the food in the downtown headquarters, and it was hard to get the food in and out. It's kind of, you know, it's congested and things. So we were really grateful to see the way in which, when we looked at the new way to serve food, this mobile delivery, pioneering this to get to the places in need, we realized that the Mill One facility, which is you know run by Isles, yep. is is a perfect place for us. And so we began this this talk in, in more. So now we have a wonderful spot where we have about two or three times as much space for for storing food in this distribution center. We have a commercial you know loading dock, so we can pull in and get out quickly, and we can actually keep hours of operation at a much extended level. So we have volunteers that are coming after school in the evenings, on weekends. We couldn't do this at our previous site. So it really sets the table for us to do more and to sustain this high-level service, actually even have higher level of service. And then, and then finally, I would say today, we have partnerships with new places. So for instance, 120 East State Street, who now operates some of that facility at downtown Trenton, where we were, our former home. They've allowed us to be able to be there still and deliver food from those same spot to downtown to the people in need there. So we're continuing that. We also have mobile partnerships with Capital Health in Trenton. Now we have two new sites, sites where their hospital locations are. And so we're setting up what we call the, the mobile grab-and-goes. So we'll come with our truck and we'll pop up and we'll serve up to about 150 families or individuals at a time. And we'll give them the basics of, of food, you know, in a really bold way. So we're going to add two more sites where the former St. Francis Hospital sites are that are now being managed by Capital Health. And we'll have two other sites in two new locations. And this is really what we're trying to do more and more is to go where the need is the greatest. Instead of having people in, in mass come to us, we're going to them. So we have many sites. We have schools that we're delivering to. We're delivering, in some cases, to senior centers to make sure those folks are taken care of. And so essentially through 
our new we have a, an additional truck as far part of our fleet we call it the mobile resource center and we're thankful to many supporters who are probably listening here and, and, and live locally who made this possible we have a refrigerated and, and a freezer actually cap capability in this mobile truck where we can go out into these communities and really, you know, roll down our, our awning and set up and do mobile grab-and-goes really now in even more areas. So we're very grateful for that. The final thing that I would say about food that's really important is we're not just delivering more food to, to newer places, to more people, but we're also delivering a greater quantity of fresher food. That's really, really critical. The... Resources that we've used through private funding, we've used to buy fresh produce. The blend that we have is thankfully a blend from food banks, and this is made possible through representatives from Mercer County who've done an incredible job getting the really significant resources purpose this year by the state of New Jersey. Thank you to all of the public servants who have made this possible. And through the leadership of Mercer Street Friends, who has really made sure that in Mercer County, these resources are going to impact in greatest ways, we've used these resources and food and blended it with our own food to make sure that the people we serve have a wonderful blend of fresh produce all the year round, dairy, poultry, those types of things. And they often come to us because of that blend. And we've realized, of course, in health, that starts with what we're eating. And if we eat better food, it sets us up for better lifestyles all the way down the road. And especially for people that don't have access, this is one of those great equity things we talk about. Equity meaning access to healthy food. That's great. So I know you have a number of other programs, and I'm just going to kind of briefly mention like what areas they're in just because we're, we're, we're going to move on here a little bit. But I know you have a housing program, you have your job support program, your representative payee program, your still standing program, your financial fitness program. You guys, and you mentioned this just re recently, recently in your last comments, that you have your own social justice committee. So, you, I mean, the breadth of what you guys offer is, is pretty incredible. But where do, where do you see arm in arm going? Where, what's what's going to be happening over the next few years? Well, I think, you know, all those programs are blended together to try to bring people from crisis to sustainability, right? So these programs have arisen because we've seen gaps that either other agencies haven't provided or that we could just do in a, a small way. So I, I think, you know, the housing piece we see is a critical piece. That's another major thing. We do both stability. People come to us in, in need. They get a lockout notice. We make sure that they're okay for today. We do longer-term financial literacy with them. We help plan. We help get them set up in a, in a longer relationship so they can not only you know, keep themselves from getting evicted today, but staying where they need to be for tomorrow. And then the work experience program goes along with that. I mentioned getting referrals, but now we're talking about that final plank where people who come to us for food often need help with housing, and then they need help with jobs. And so we're now getting to where people are working and sometimes even end up working for us. Again, about a quarter of our staff are former clients, which is one of the things that we're, I, I think is most valuable about what we do. We do have niche little programs, you know, for instance, Still Standing helps specifically single mothers and their children because they have some things that are specific needs. There's a camaraderie that we, we talk about where there's a financial literacy piece. And, and so we do 
activities also with their families and, and try to get a sense of community among those individuals as well. And then finally, the financial fitness program is something that we do with really across the boards. Financial literacy is something we promote in every aspect in our program. So for instance, we put information in bags of food so people can come and get classes. We had a class a couple nights ago where people came to Mill One in this beautiful new facility, and they were able to learn the basics of budgeting, finance, you know, checking, debt, these types of things. And we use certain curricula that have been proven and working with people in need there. So we have some really great individuals. We have some wonderful partners here locally, some banks, Bank of Princeton, for instance, and Berkshire Bank and Nassau Prez, of course, have helped really fund these financial literacy programs. And and it's built into what we're doing so that, you know, as I said, we're, we're helping sustain people. I think for the future, we've also gotten together with a few key partners, and we'd like to be able to get to the place we say, you know what? Instead of putting band-aids on these problems, let's try to heal the causes behind these problems. And the cause behind the problem really is it's hard to live in Mercer County. Hmm. Bottom line. Yeah. So when people come to us for food or for housing, it's because they're having a hard time make, making it you know, all fit together. David, thank you very much. It's a great explanation of all that Arm in Arm does, and I would encourage everyone listening. It's easy enough to find you guys on your own website and, and donate, which we like to to push when we have a nonprofit here, join us. But David, thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the 37th episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced by the podcast production team at HG Media, providing audio and video production services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends. Visit our website at princetonpodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.